again, welcome to the Day Health Strategies podcast, Unlocking Accountable Care, Conversations on Healthcare Reform. This podcast features experts in the field talking about the most salient issues in healthcare reform. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Unlocking Accountable Care. I'm your host, Emily George, and today we have Kathy Latham with us. Kathy Latham is an American family nurse practitioner who has lived and worked in Taiwan for the past 17 years, providing direct patient care and public health education. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you, Emily. Today, Kathy is going to share with us some interesting lessons learned from the ways in which Taiwan responded to the COVID-19 pandemic. But first, Kathy, can you tell us a little bit about your career journey and your current work? Yes, thank you for asking. So, um, before moving to Taiwan, I actually worked as a nurse practitioner in the Midwest for about three years before moving to Kaohsiung, Taiwan. And um, I've lived in Taiwan the past 17 years where I've gotten to work in a huge variety of nursing roles. So um, I'll just list a few of them. This is not um, the full gamut, but um, I worked as a healthcare liaison and family nurse practitioner for an international community in the area where I live. And um, I've also taught nursing classes at a university in Southern Taiwan. And I was the medical provider at a local orphanage where I did baby checks. Um, I would take babies for their vaccines and specialty care appointments. And I was also on call for specific medical needs for these little ones. And then finally, the past 11 years, I have had the privilege of um, being the health care coordinator at Morrison Academy, which is an American school in Kaohsiung that serves um, grades K through 12 students. Wow, you've had such a great um, experience. And you're right, there has been so much variety in your experiences. And I would love to, um, even before we get into talking about the pandemic, can you just tell us a little bit about Taiwan's health system? Yes. Um, so Taiwan is a single payer health system, meaning that all health care is provided by the government. So everyone has access to health care in Taiwan. And just some little bits of trivia is that when I go to see a doctor, I um, only have to pay about three U.S. dollars for a healthcare visit, which includes x-rays, CT scans, uh, medication, or whatever else needs to be ordered. And then also, if I have to go to the emergency room or take one of my children there for whatever reason, it's only 25 U.S. dollars for all the care given in an emergency room. So it's a pretty wild healthcare system. Wow. Wow. Well, and one thing that I think about that is um, often we hear um, one of the um, negative things that people say about a single payer system that I think is misunderstood sometimes is that um, there are these long wait lines and it takes forever to see a doctor and the quality isn't as good. And what would you say about that in thinking about the healthcare you've received and been a part of in Taiwan? Thankfully, that hasn't been my experience. And um, with all of the different people I've known throughout the years, I have not heard that, those complaints. Um, Taiwan, um, their physicians and health, other healthcare providers really excel at the care that they give. And they know how to hone um, the examination and get down to the, um, you know, to quick uh, diagnosis. But they may not give you as much time as a, an American physician would give you, but um, they're not there to become your best friend, as one Taiwanese physician's told me before in a joking manner. Um, 
So the quality of care is amazing. I have never been dissatisfied in these past 17 years with a huge variety of um, physicians that I've seen and specialty care that um, we've been very satisfied. Hmm. That's helpful in just um, helping us understand the context a little bit more. And now I, I want to pivot and, and talk about this COVID-19 pandemic and um, being close to, um, you know, the Wuhan area, you probably started hearing about it um, a lot earlier than many of us on the other side of the world. Um, so can you tell us about when you first started hearing about it? You know, what was going on? What were your thoughts? What was that like? Yeah, um, so I can still remember, I, I believe it was a mid to latter January, right before the Chinese New Year break. Actually, um, my head administrator stopped by my clinic at the school and just asked me if I happened to hear about the Wuhan virus. And um, I hadn't, and he mentioned just a little bit about the virus, and it piqued my curiosity, so I read a little bit about it. And um, we were actually just getting ready to go on Chinese New Year break as a school. And um, so after reading about it and with the, a lot of travel among our um, clientele, I went ahead and sent out an email just to let our students and their families know about this epidemic is what we were calling it at the time. And um, yeah, I think at first I thought possibly it could be benign, but we know how things can spread. And also coming off of, um, I actually went to Taiwan in 2003, which was the tail end of the SARS um, epidemic. And um, we knew that it could be something quite serious and detrimental to um, to our community. So um, just starting out a little bit cautious um, that way and letting people know that if they were planning to travel to China to not return to our school unless um, they were healthy without cough, fever, or other symptoms. Hmm. And and so then um, can you talk a little bit more broadly um, outside of your individual experience about, you know, how did the Taiwanese government respond? How, how, how was the public health system responding to this? Mm -hmm. So I think because, like I said, because of the SARS, their SARS experience, um, they were very proactive. And you may have read that um, Taiwan actually sent a group of researchers, scientists, physicians to the Wuhan area to scope out what was happening when they first caught wind of it through some email correspondence without it being um, actually public that this was going on. So they wanted to see firsthand what was going on and they saw in Wuhan that this was really a serious situation. And they came back and formed a task force among um, Taiwanese uh, researchers, tech coordinators, um, to and uh, medical providers to come together and make decisions about how they would respond in the Taiwanese in the in Taiwan, and so they ended up. Um, I mean, from things as little as how would they make sure that everyone had masks? How would they make sure everyone had alcohol spray? How would they track um, people who had traveled outside of the country um, on the health cards or the national insurance cards? So they were able to um, do this initially, and then they continued to meet on a regular basis to make sure that they were um, staying on top of things and really... Um, watching what was happening in China, the world, and specifically in Taiwan. And and I know that um, 
I had read um, about their contact tracing and that they, they, they coordinated that effort quickly. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, they were amazing with how quickly they stepped in to make sure that anyone coming from abroad into the country of Taiwan would be picked up with a free van service, um, taken to a, um, you know, a location of the person's choice. Um, Taiwan would hook up um, to have their cell phone and they would call them on a daily basis at random times of the day to ensure that they were in that location and they were tracking it with GPS. Um, they would do that for two full weeks if someone had a fever above 37 or 37.5 or higher, um, any symptoms. They also had a van service come for free, take them to the um, specified hospital and do the testing and isolate them properly. So they were really set up. I'll tell you a little side story. Um, we have one friend who um, came to, back to Taiwan. He was a university student from the States and he accidentally let his phone die and um he unbeknownst to him and they sent out the health department to his house knocked on his door and um and wanted to make sure he was there in quarantine which he was thankfully mm. but otherwise they would assess if he would not have been there they would have assessed a three thousand us dollar fine to him yeah, so they, I mean, they were really on top of things, and they would also have um, public service announcements. Um, the Taiwan trash trucks come on a daily basis, and um, they would have loudspeakers um, going over the different things that you're supposed to do, the hand washing, um, you know, uh, temperature checks, um, if you're having fever, and they would list a phone number for you to call for um, a service to come get you if you were having any of these symptoms. So it was very, very impressive. Mm. Wow. Well, and I know you said you were working at a school at this time. And um, I remember hearing some about um, that there were there was a lot of preparation that went into even providing online or virtual learning um, as a result of preparing for this. So can you talk a little bit about mm -hmm. that too? Yeah. So for the past two years at our school, um, they had an online learning day where the students and staff would stay home to practice for a possible pandemic um, where they would have a full day of online learning. And to be quite honest, um, as we were doing these practices with our own children or my husband's an educator, you know, there was a part of us that thought, this is silly, or why are we doing this? Um, we just never thought it would be necessary. But in a lot of ways, they were able to work out kinks in the system with the online learning. And then when this happened, um, we immediately went into online learning for two full weeks um, as we made preparations at the school to make sure we were doing daily temp checks, wearing masks, um, all of that. And so these students were able to have a safe learning environment at home um, while we were making sure the school was a safe place for them to return. Wow. That to me is just mind blowing. Um, that pivot um, was so challenging, you know, for us here mm -hmm. in the U.S. And, and, you know, I have to commend all of our educators. They did a fantastic job mm -hmm. um, from what I've heard in, in different areas and definitely in mine. But that effort um, just seems so um, highly sophisticated and, and prescient, mm -hmm. you know, that you guys had been doing that for mm -hmm. such a long time. It's really remarkable. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm curious, you know, I, I think of you as someone, you know, you've practiced medicine um, and, and advocated for improved public health in both the U.S. system and the, the Taiwanese system. And so you bring a very unique perspective to the healthcare delivery systems in general. Um, and so I'm curious, why do you think Taiwan was able to have such a coordinated response in comparison to other countries like the U.S.? Yeah, so I think um, a huge difference is trust in their governance. Um, even though Taiwan has two major political parties, um, they when something is spoken among the Taiwanese government, the people, um, because of their collective culture, they trust it. So when they hear um, to follow these certain specifications or guidelines, they do it. I am friends with a lot of different Taiwanese people, and I feel like um, among all of them, there was never skepticism about um, different things that were being reported, and there was a true trust to follow what the Taiwan government was, um, was issuing for them to do. Well, and, um, you know, we, I think that that individualism versus collectivism mm-hmm. is such an interesting thing that I'd like to to just probe a little bit more on. Um, I mean, we've seen here in the U.S. Um, a lot of skepticism, mm-hmm. you know, about the, the messaging that we've received mm-hmm. or the data that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit more about, you know, the, the people who live in Taiwan, um, and the, again, the trust that they have in their government, um, you know, why do you think that they were able to respond like that? You know, what, are there any other things that you can share with us about how people were reacting and, and digesting the information that was coming to them? I think based on their past experience, like with SARS, or even something as simple as hand, foot, and mouth disease. I'll give you that as an example. So when I first started working at the school, the um, Department of Health and the Kaohsiung um, Education Ministry, or, or Taiwan Education Ministry, had different guidelines for how many students in a class, if they were diagnosed with hand, foot, and mouth, you had to close the whole class down for seven days to do deep cleaning and continue to monitor the students and the other classes. And when I first heard about some of these things, I thought it seemed a little bit outrageous. But the longer I lived in Taiwan, the more I understood about the impact of population density and how things spread and um, also how we can prevent the spread of these different diseases. And so I think that the Taiwanese have seen different diseases that have really impacted their community and um, their public health. And so I think when this came out about especially seeing how detrimental this virus was, there was not a question. They believed it. They saw um, the information that was being put out on a daily basis by the Taiwan CDC, and they thought we want to do our part as an individual to protect society as a whole. Mm, that's so interesting. And you, I mean, I think that's a great point that you bring up about not only trusting government governance, but um, population density and how that's, um, you know, a reality. And, and even in preparation for this after SARS, it was like, mm-hmm. it was very easy for them to imagine this happening again mm-hmm. because of how infectious, you know, these respiratory illnesses mm-hmm. are and, and, 
what have you. Um, and we saw that here in the U.S. You know, mm-hmm. I think that we saw states and city, well, cities like New York City mm-hmm. and Boston, L.A., people that yes. where, there, where there was a lot more um, population density mm-hmm. responding in different ways mm-hmm. because the risk is higher. And so yes. you can respond a lot easier when you when you have more of like a felt mm-hmm. need right? Um, or your risk perception is higher. Mm-hmm. You know, you respond in a different way. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, when this pandemic started really crossing the ocean, um, Taiwan was had already built this task mm-hmm. force and they were responding. They had put all of these things in place. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the things that that were happening on a, on an individual level mm-hmm. and at a community level that you, that you guys were doing to keep yourself safe and to keep others safe around you? Mm-hmm. Well, besides like the public service announcement, encouraging people to do their own self monitoring. Um, they also, the Taiwan government also started mandating mask usage. So, um, you could not even get on any public transportation, which is used quite often in this large city of Kaohsiung, um, without, having a mask. So those were some things um, that were required. Um, also, they um, they would, any anywhere you went, whether it was government offices, doctor's offices, hospital, um, restaurants, um, you, right upon entering, someone would be at the door to check your temperature, make sure you were wearing a mask, and then you would fill out all the information on a piece of paper about your um, personal information, along with a phone number, so for contact tracing, in case they found out someone had been there who who was diagnosed with Wuhan, or with COVID-19. So... Um, and then also just something simple like hand spray at every someone was standing there to spray spray your hands. So those were just some of the things along with at the school um, from day one that we opened the school after our online learning, um, we had um, stations set up all across and we were entering um, every student and staff member's temperature, um, making sure they were wearing masks. And this was um, data that was going directly to um, our local Taiwan health department. So they were able to see the temperatures recorded. Um, so these were some of the things going on. Also, just to add in, um, both the Ministry of Education and our Kaohsiung Health Department sent people out to um, interview me, and they had checklists to make sure um, we were complying with different regulations. They also were donating masks and alcohol and thermometers to our school to make sure that we had enough. Um, so all of these things, I mean, even something as small as going into the custodian's closet to look at expiration dates on bleach, um, and cleaning other cleaning supplies and asking how often we were cleaning and making sure we were having public service announcements in the school hallways, which we were. We were doing daily education among our staff and students on how to wash their hands and wear a mask properly. Hmm. Wow. And did you guys struggle at all with supply chain issues? No. And again, I think that was all a result of the task force. So um, w- there was never a shortage, but probably I'm trying to think what month it was. At some point, they started doing a difference in regulation where you could actually take your card in, your health card, which is the national insurance, into a 7-Eleven. And it went into a database where you could plug it in onto a computer and then go to the 
um, person at 7-Eleven at the till with your receipt and they would issue you for your family, each family member, so many masks and um, for pediatric and adult masks per week. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's very organized. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and um, I mean, from what I remember reading, the I think it was the WHO projected that Taiwan would be one of the yes. hardest hit places. Yeah. Yes. And so let's talk a little bit about numbers. Do you know offhand um, what the, the actual numbers mm-hmm. were? Yeah. So um, they've had 447 confirmed cases and 435 who have recovered. Wow. And yeah, they've had um, seven deaths and um, they've had 76,000 people tested so this is um, this is pretty impressive for a country of about twenty three million people. Wow, yeah, yeah, wow, and and man, only seven deaths. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think? Um, you know what what is it like when you know these physicians or these providers care for these patients? Mm-hmm. Like how? Tell us a little bit about even like if somebody's diagnosed. You know what mm-hmm. what do you know about what happens at mm-hmm. that point? So um, when they so actually, uh, we have a friend, another friend who came back from uh, a U.S. university to live, to come back to Taiwan when all the universities closed here in the States. And um, he started developing, he was in his two-week quarantine period and doing the self-monitoring. And he actually started having just a little bit of a sore throat and a runny nose, no fever, no cough, no shortness of breath. But because of that runny nose and mild sore throat, um, that van service came and picked him up, took him to the hospital all in isolation. Um, Actually, he wasn't able to see any family members or friends the entire time and had to stay in the hospital um, for testing and um, and his uh, had to wait in an isolated hospital room until they got the test results back, which thankfully were negative. And um, I know physicians, um, we, we have several physician friends who have been working in the COVID areas at the main um, hospital, Gao-E is the name of it. And um, after they actually live in the hospital for a full two weeks, taking care of patients, and then um, they have to do another two weeks of quarantine in a uh, what they call a clean area of the hospital before they can go home to their family to make sure that they are not... Um, developing symptoms. They have to do self-monitoring during that two-week quarantine period. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. We are getting to the end of our time, Kathy. Mm -hmm. And just sort of um, as we wrap up our our show today, I'm curious, what do you think um, clinicians and other public health practitioners can learn from some of these lessons um, that we've seen in Taiwan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing is just like what I referred to earlier about even just our online learning day, how we thought this is never going to happen to us. But thankfully, we had something in place. We had a plan and we were prepared. It wasn't a perfect system. But I think as healthcare providers, we have to always uh, be cognizant of the fact that something bad can happen, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to um, just be prepared for the worst and be ready for what can happen. And um, so I think that's really important to keep in mind uh, as healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. 
I also think something um, really important is just the dissemination of um, how we educate our public to make sure that it is consumable and digestible, um, that people can um, really understand um, what we're sharing, that they can trust mm-hmm. healthcare providers, that we are people they can look to um, for accurate information, and um, that that we're a trusted professional to to our patients, or um, yeah, the people we care for. Mm-hmm. Kathy, thank you so much just for being on the show and sharing these things with us. It's been such a pleasure. Mm, you're so welcome, Emily. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Day Health Strategies podcast, Unlocking Accountable Care, Conversations on Healthcare Reform. Day Health Strategies is a Boston-based, mission-driven healthcare consulting firm specializing in providing timely and effective solutions to complex problems in healthcare. To learn more about our work, please visit our website at www.dayhealthstrategies.com or follow us on Twitter at dayhealthstrat. Just a reminder, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policies or positions of Day Health Strategies. Our producer and host is Emily George. Editing is done by Kate Gautam. Special thanks to Purple Planet for the use of their songs.